Welcome to the Ingredients of Life podcast. Okay, welcome to the first episode of the Ingredients of Life podcast, where we discuss the topics that make life meaningful. Um, so the very f- so this is the very first episode. Um, and the very first guest is one of my closest friends, Brian Sally. Hey, Brian. Hey. Um, How's it going? <laughs> you know, just live, <laughs> living the dream. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I'm super, I'm super excited um, to have you on, Brian. And I know that you were like, what the heck? Why do you want to interview me? Um which is like the same reaction I've gotten from everyone that I've asked if they would be interested to be on it. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think that, um, I I think that our particular friend group, um, and as like the episodes go on, like I'm sure we'll dive more into just um, this group I'm talking about, but I think that we're all like super different and super interesting and I love like our friend group and how um, I feel like one of the things that I appreciate about our group is that we can have discussions about stuff that we all don't agree on but we seem to be able to like or actually we don't seem to we have like super civil awesome conversations that I feel are super lacking pretty much like with everyone else in America. Not to say that we're like super awesome, but kind right, of we're right. super awesome. <laughs> yeah, no, it's kind of amazing that we have been friends for this long or that we even connected. Yeah. But somehow our little group works. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm super. I, I was just, uh, mm-hmm. I was just talking to Rosie and some of her friends the other day, and they asked us how we had met, uh-huh. and we realized that we just kind of had a class together, and then started eating lunch together because we didn't know anybody else. It was the first day of high school, yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, ten years, twelve years later. We're all still friends. Yeah. Actually, it's been a lot longer than it has been. It's been like 15 years. That's, yeah. It's been a long time. That's, that's so crazy. I met you guys um, through Prova. So I had just moved um, from California to Arizona when I was like 14 or 15. And... Um, so I did I did ninth grade at the junior high at Brim Hall and I was kind of a I was kind of a loser, like I didn't have any friends, right? And mm-hmm. <laughs> You? No. <laughs> yeah, hard, hard to believe. Um What? <laughs> but I yeah, I had just moved there and I ended up joining um the tennis team just solely to make friends. And so in 10th grade, when um, we switched to high school, like that's how the system is in Arizona. So 10th grade, when I started high school at Skyline, um, that's when I became friends with Prova. But I had played her, actually, um, I had played her like in 9th grade, 
Um, she went to that t- a different junior high, but I remember playing her at tennis tournaments. And so in 10th grade, when we were at Skyland on the same team, um, Prova, and she could talk about this story. I'm sure she has a better memory than me. Um, but basically Prova was kind of like, hey, you're a loser and don't have friends. <laughs> um, <laughs> come hang out with my friends. And then that's how I got connected with all of you. So yeah, shout, shout out to... I feel like that's how we... Uh... That's how we all connected, you know, yeah. in a similar way. Because <laughs> I remember uh, the first time that I met you, we were at a meeting for the school ambassadors uh. because we were all we were all nerds, <laughs> and <laughs> it was like the day before school started. We were all there uh, getting ready to help pass out schedules or something. And yeah, Prova brought you along, and we all were at the same table, and that's how we met. Yeah, that's so crazy. Um, shout out to Prova, who I yeah. who I hope is listening. Yeah, you better be listening, Prova. <laughs> be a good friend. Um, <laughs> so so something that is kind of funny. Um, so we're talking about how we kind of like have this history of like um yeah over 10 years now like you said like probably like 15 years oh that's so crazy um yeah that was approximate i yeah started to think about how long ago it was and it went back too far so i just <laughs> rounded it to 15 <laughs> yeah i appreciate that um and what what i think is kind of cool um is that we had both said this um, like this past year about how that we've like known each other for quite a while, but we didn't like, I would consider you a friend, but, um, there was so much that like we hadn't really talked more deeply about and things that like, um, we do have in common that we didn't necessarily know that we had in common at the time. Um, so I feel like that's been a really cool, um, like a really cool thing that has happened this past year. And one of the things um, that Brian has had a really big influence on me um, about is minimalism. Um, So minimalism is like this like buzzword thing that some people think is like a cult. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Or other people think it's like this trendy thing like on BuzzFeed or whatever. and I mean, I feel like I feel dumb even explaining it because I feel like it's kind of self-explanatory. Um, but it's basically the idea of just a type of lifestyle where um, you just don't own excess of things. And so kind of like the whole point of this quote unquote minimalistic um, lifestyle is owning. Um, it's not necessarily about the number of things that you own. But owning things that only bring um, value to your life, like joy, or you just simply need. Um, So it's really like in contrast to the whole um, American mindset of like getting more, getting more and and richer and better and always trading in, you know, your cell phones and your cars for the next latest and greatest thing. Um, And I feel like I've always kind of had that, had that 
um, that proclivity to, to kind of have less things. Um, and I, I was actually telling, telling this to a friend recently, um, that even when I was little, like a kid, um, and this is like such a first world problem, I'm almost like embarrassed to say it, is that I would get like stressed out when I was a kid if I got too many Christmas presents. Um, mm. Because I was like, oh, I have to play with each thing. And, you know, my parents like, or Santa, quote unquote, um, like got me, you know, all these like things. And um, I wanted to like use and like be grateful for each thing. But if it was too much, like I, it stressed me out. And I remember even as a kid being like, I wish I didn't have this much stuff. Um, so I, yeah, Brian, if you just want to share a little bit about kind of your perspective on like the minimalistic lifestyle, what got you into it and kind of how long you've, you've been trying um, to kind of live more minimally. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like you said, um, you know, I think, when people hear the word minimalism, they will sometimes just go straight to that idea that being minimalist means you're living in a tent in the woods and <laughs> you don't own anything at all. Uh, but it, I definitely don't live like that. I mean, I think minimalism is something that can be adapted to your personal lifestyle and, um, you know, you can adopt it in your own way. Um, like for me, I don't live out of a suitcase. I have like a lot of things still. I have, I like to collect things. But like you said, it's more about um, the things that you're owning, having, you know, a memory attached to it or a purpose. And it's about, you know, living opposite of the consumerism that mm. it, like chokes our whole culture here, especially in the United States. Um, but even then, like that's really not how I started. You know, learning about minimalism and applying it to my life. I was raised in a consumer's household hmm. where we would like go shopping when we have so much stuff. Yeah. And, like, it's interesting that you said you felt anxiety about, like, the Christmas presents. Yeah. Because, yeah, I mean, like, I think that I had similar feelings when I was young. I didn't understand that it was because I wanted to have less things. Um, I think that and I know, like, we've talked about this before, but I, my parents were definitely more of the hoarding type. Mm-hmm. And so it felt like we were just, like, buried in stuff. Hmm. And, uh, like, for me, especially, like, the kitchen area would yeah. always give me anxiety hmm. because the countertops were, like, always covered with stuff there was like no space to cook <laughs> and 
I just, yeah, I just would feel like the anxiety that you felt. And be like, why do we have all this stuff? What do we do with it? So, as I grew up, I just kind of, you know, realized, like, I don't want to have all of that stuff. The stuff that I do have, I want it to be um, useful and have meaning. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's so interesting, too. Um, I It was like, I think it was on NPR. I was listening recently to... Um, I think it was when I was back in the States this year, I was listening to an interview with, um, with like a factory owner, either in India or in Bangladesh, which is right next door anyway. Um, and it was so interesting because they were talking about how, um, basically like the Western consumer market in, in, Uh in, um, like talking about the the fashion and how how much like the cost of having like the cheapest items for clothing and how often clothing like goes through cycles in the US like people are constantly yeah. shopping for clothes and they want like the best deals so because the consumer market has these demands so then, you know, companies like Nike or Adidas or, you know, like all these um, top brands, again, put the pressure on like the factory owners and manufacturers to crank out even more at a lesser price and how people have literally died, like in factories and stuff in developing countries um, because the factories are in disrepair um you know, like the, the production is so high, like people are so fatigued and stuff and it's just right. not quality work conditions. Um, but the manufacturer has to keep supplying, you know, the demands of the manufacturer. Right. And it's, it's just like this, such an interesting cycle. And, you know, like I'm embarrassed to say as someone who, you know, lives cross-culturally and has visited other countries is that like that didn't even cross my mind about how consumerism like in my home country of the USA will affect someone's life all the way over here and I mean that sounds so simple but when you really put like okay do I need this new pair of jeans that are 50% off at Walmart or whatever but actually right. someone has literally created and possibly like died over this pair of jeans, you know, like, and, yeah. and, and, and I would venture to say like, that's not an exaggeration. Like, obviously it's not an everyday occurrence, but that's literally like what's happening. And yeah. it's like, how, how greedy can we be that, mm-hmm. Yeah, like, we just want the next pair of, you know, whatever, at any cost, um, as long as it's cheap for us. Like, that's what we think about. We think about how does, you know, what's the price for me? How can I afford this? And we kind of have just this tunnel vision, and we forget that the world um, is extremely connected. Like, we live in a globalist economy now, um, Mm -hmm. you know, which is just 
yeah, it was just so interesting um, as I began to just like kind of researching that aspect more and feeling, letting myself feel the weight of, of that, you know, cause it's not comfortable. Yeah. Um, no, and it sounds crazy, but I think it's a very healthy like way to think about your purchases and what you're buying because, um, you know, do you really need five pairs of jeans and, um, you know, being aware of what kind of footprint that type of spending um, has on the rest of the world. Yeah. I mean, we consume so much, and then you also have, like, the aspect of the waste, the stuff that we just get rid of, and, I mean, there, there's so much stuff everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty crazy, um, especially with spending so much time, like, in Asia. I, I've just begun to, like, just have more of just, you know, a, a broader perspective of just, like, shopping cultures and stuff. Um, you know, I mean, there's plenty of malls, like, in, in Delhi and in Thailand and stuff. Um, yeah. There's plenty of consumerism everywhere in the world, not just the oh, U.S. Yeah. But it's it's so interesting because so many shops here are, like, small and, you know, you get, like, your vegetables and fruit and stuff like from someone's little stall every day and then it's like there's more I feel like face-to-face -face interaction and then in the U.S. it's just more like industrialized where it's like you go into this huge Target this huge Walmart and I remember after coming back to the States um, this past year I was not like you know like overwhelmed like having to break down in the little Target because I love Target um, but I was just kind of like overwhelmed by the sheer amount of choices and just the amount of space, like these huge, um, big box stores take up. Whereas in the States, it's just, or in India, it's just, you know, like small little shops and stuff. And, um, you can't even really get like, um, like they call it a trolley here. What do we call it in the States? Like a, that you push in the uh, store shopping cart yeah yeah shopping cart um you just have like a hand cart and so yeah it's it's just so interesting like even comparing um just the shopping cultures i think yeah that whole experience yeah yeah no, it's true and and you know now they're like adding the self checkouts or the, the like, robot checkouts yeah it's just, it's interesting. Um, and, you know, part of the reason that I uh, ha have been drawn to minimalism also is that I would go into those stores and I would buy so much that I didn't even need when I went there. <laughs> but now that I'm, like, trying to be very conscious of what I need and what I own, um, I'm spending a lot less when I go to the store. Hmm. I'm... Uh, buying less impulsively um, with more purpose and so yeah of course I'm like saving money and mm. that's really great <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah uh -huh. um, but like so I don't need to like change the subject yeah yeah go ahead but minimalism 
is for me like isn't just about the suspending and the footprint that we make um that was part of it that's what like got me started and learning about it but i'm even like more drawn to the mental aspect of it Hmm. um like i just mentioned like changing the way that i think about how i consume um but also i found that living with purpose like this decreases like anxiety Hmm. and um I'm just like I'm more relaxed. Hmm. Yeah, I'm. I'm glad actually that you segued into that because that's a topic that I wanted to touch on too. Um, is we've talked a lot this past year about um, like mental health essentially, and yeah, um, yeah, we kind of discovered um, or opened up more. I feel like to each other about kind of our um, you know, per- personal kind of struggles with, um, you know, like depression and anxiety and, and things like that. And, um, it was, yeah, it was, it was interesting, um, because as we got to like, just talk more, um, about that this past year, I'm interested in why you think, um, minimalism has helped with your anxiety and also what else do you think um have you been implementing or have implemented that have helped you kind of continually combat um like anxiousness Mm -hmm. well i i uh oh i just like i was gonna say something i thought of it when you were talking um but I've always had like a very obsessive personality. Hmm. And so, you know, I will constantly be organizing my things or I will uh, be thinking about, you know, things that I need to do, how to prioritize or, you know, make goals for those things. Hmm. I have, uh, you know, high expectations of myself and what I should be doing. And so when I started um, learning about minimalism, I was really drawn to this this whole idea of minimizing uh, not your, your goals, but being more focused. And hmm. um, one thing that happened as I got rid of the things in my life that I don't need or don't use or didn't have purpose was uh, I found myself I had more time Hmm. Um, and then I was able to use that time for healthier things like meditation um, just doing things that I knew were good for my mental health, exercise, uh, reading. Um, I started some of my other hobbies like writing and and things that like really helped me learn more about myself and how to be healthier mentally. Hmm. 
Yeah, so it's like the less, um, yeah, like the less amount of time you have set aside to like upkeep or maintaining or cleaning or whatever, just the amount of crap that we have. Yeah. It's, it's pretty amazing how much time, yeah, you have to, to dedicate more towards things that actually matter. Um, yeah. So yeah. That's, that's, that's good insight. Um, yeah. It, I mean, it, they were in a way distractions. I was mm. spending so much time on these things that didn't even matter to me. Uh, and, I, and, and not just physical things like cleaning or, you know, shopping, but other things like, um, this is going to sound really, really mean. I don't mean it <laughs> as like people are worthless, but, <laughs> but like, so, like for social media, I uh-huh. spent a lot of time on social media like reading about people's lives that I wouldn't talk to if I met them in real life <laughs> you know people from my past that yeah. that I had like you know we were maybe we weren't even friends in high school but we were added on Facebook and I would spend so much time just like comparing my life to other people and just liking like superficially statuses and things like that. Um, but then once I cut Facebook out, that opens so much more time to do healthier things instead of comparing myself to other people. And I don't believe that people even put their real selves on Facebook. So, mm. I think that was really unhealthy that I was like looking at these people and thinking that they had such great lives and how could I be living differently so that I could be similar. But anyway, I don't mean that as like people are working. <laughs> I don't believe that. <laughs> yeah. Um... I just think social media as a whole is like superficial and I am uh, happy to be away from it. So do you still um do you still have like a Facebook account or Instagram or whatever and if you do um how much time do you do you allow yourself to interact with it nowadays? Yeah, I so I did I did not deactivate my Facebook. I deleted as much as I could off of it, but I kept it because I don't, I actually don't understand if I can delete Facebook and still have instant messaging. Oh, uh, okay. Because I, uh, I wanted to keep instant messaging so that I could keep in contact with my family sure, that lives yeah. out of state. I feel like yeah, that's, that's, I feel like that's a common, a common poll for people. Um, they're like, oh, I would get rid of, you know, Facebook or social media, but it's so convenient for like, um, yeah, like that kind of interaction and stuff with like family and yeah. 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 So what I did was I, uh, deleted as much as I could off of my Facebook, like photos and things that, uh, I mean, it sounds really superficial, but things that I would like want to go look and see if people have liked or looked at, mm-hmm. it was just so stupid. Uh, so I got rid of that. And I uh, signed out of my account so that I wouldn't 
easily be able to just turn Facebook on. Yeah. Because uh, I, I totally believe I was at a point where I was addicted to Facebook. Like, I would check it multiple times a day, hmm. see if I had any um, notifications. So that was, like, part of the first steps of breaking away is I signed out. And that way, if I went to the, the page, you know, I would have to take that extra step of signing in. Yeah. And usually that was, like, enough discouragement for me to be like, nah, maybe I'll do something else. Yeah. It's, it, uh, is, it is so interesting and so funny, like, um, how just even little things can really deter, um, like, people from doing stuff. It's so, yeah, I'm, like, fascinated by, like, humans because we're so insane where we're like, yeah, oh, like, just this one little thing that would take me, like, five seconds is enough to, yeah. to put this, like, break in this habit. That's so interesting. Yeah. I don't know if that's just, like, a millennial thing or if <laughs> it works for... <laughs> Maybe that says something about our generation. Something yeah. not so positive, but... That's... Yeah. That's... Yeah. That's, that's, a, good, that's a good observation. Um, yeah. So, um, then the next mm -hmm. thing that I did was with the instant messaging, I yeah. turned off notifications so that I wouldn't, uh, so that I wouldn't be, uh, constantly checking those or like berated by notifications that I'd have to check and clear on my phone. Yeah. And that way... Um, what I've done now is like every weekend, I'll just turn on the instant messaging and see which messages I have, and uh, you know, then I'll like purposefully respond to whoever has contacted me. And yeah, hmm. I not I, that I'm popular. Like I don't get a lot of <laughs> messages. <laughs> I'll take like one minute to see. <laughs> Every weekend. <laughs> yeah. Huh. I I like that idea of kind of dedicating, um, you know, a day or like the weekend of the week or whatever to kind of catch up on that, on that kind of stuff. Um, I really like that. I think I'll I'll try to like incorporate that. Um, so I haven't. I personally haven't had a Facebook in a couple of years now, and I was talking to my friend Lucy recently, and I was like. That was probably, like, one of the best decisions I ever made because, um, so Lisey, she doesn't really use social media, um, but she gave me, like, her login information recently because I literally needed a Facebook account to check when practice times were for an Ultimate Frisbee Club here in Delhi. Oh, yeah. And, like, that yeah. was, like, their only mode of communication and so anyway I didn't want to create a Facebook account like just to get that so Lisi was just like oh you know feel free to just go on my account and like check it whenever um and it was and so like I <laughs> hey Lisi uh by the way this happened <laughs> um <laughs> like I had I had gone in like a couple days ago to to check like um on on that Facebook page and I like got caught up in like looking at crap on her timeline and mm -hmm. i mean obviously we have you know like we have a lot of overlap in friends so it wasn't like complete strangers 
But I was just like, oh my god, I've been like looking at my friend's timeline for 15 minutes about people that I either don't know or haven't talked to since I got rid of Facebook. And mm-hmm. it's just such this, this weird, interesting social like phenomenon that I feel like has, has taken over the last couple of years. And um, I actually have slowly been reading through this book um, by author and professor Sherry Turkle. Um, so she, she's written a couple of books. Um, she's like a, like a professor, I think at MIT. And, um, the particular book of hers that I've been reading through is called Alone Together, Why We Expect More from Technology and Less from Each Other. And it's been so, excuse me, so insightful. Um, and also like a little scary and like sad about a lot of the research that she has done um, over the past, I think probably like decade of how social media and technology have influenced like core human needs and, you know, in, in terms of like belonging and social interaction and love and empathy, you know, and all these like human emotional needs that are going unmet but we think they're being met through social media or you know like cell phones and in this this kind of platform and we're missing like the face-to-face communication and really this is like the first time in the world that you know the last several years that this is becoming um like it like an issue that that researchers are are literally discovering as we go like how technology is affecting us because it's so rapid and it has come out at such a rapid pace that it's like oh here's a quote from my favorite movie Jurassic Park that is just relevant for like you could just quote this movie for like every life scenario um (laughs) and uh even though it's just a movie about dinosaurs um (laughs) But like, (laughs) thank you, absolutely. Um, But there's like the scene, and I'm probably going to misquote it. um, So and I'll just kick myself later. But Dr. Ian Malcolm is uh, is um, is is talking about like right how they created these dinosaurs, and he was like, we were just so concerned if we could that we didn't stop and think about whether we should. And I feel like that's kind of the perspective the, the perspective that I've been forming over the last like year or two is that technology and all these social media platforms have been being developed and rolled out so quickly that we don't even know like the effect of them. Do, does that make like sense? Cre- yeah, that's no, like we've created a monster. Yeah. That- it's changing our culture and how we uh, interact with people. I mean, even dating is so weird oh, now. so interesting, yeah. Yeah, like, when uh, you think about meeting people, the first idea that you have is, you know, I need to create a profile on the internet and connect that way. And honestly, that's, like, the easiest way to do it because huh. everybody's on their 
Yeah. Yeah. It, um, yeah. Almost every single friend that I have either is or has or is considering like online like dating platforms like eHarmony or, um, you know, the trillion other ones that are out there. And sorry. I was just going to say, are any of those sponsors of your podcast? Oh, yeah, I wish. (laughs) (laughs) Can we be saying nice things? Yeah, actually, I'll just, like, swallow the crap I said, like, if Facebook wants to sponsor me or whatever. Um, (laughs) Yeah, we love Facebook. Um, Huge fan. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, it's, it's so interesting because I feel like online dating was almost kind of taboo, you know, like, 10 years ago or whatever. Like if someone was like, oh, I met someone online or whatever, it was kind of like, oh, you're kind of like a social outcast. You know, like that's kind of odd that you had to meet online. But now... I remember that time, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like it totally was like a thing where it was like so weird. Yeah, it was like people thought it was creepy or something. (laughs) That you like met a stranger on the internet and now you're dating. Yeah. But... Now that's... it's like that's the avenue, and it and like that progression from like hey that's creepy to like oh this is the only way to date has been I think like probably within the last only just like ten years. Um, yeah, yeah, it's just it's and, it, and so if I understand what you're saying, like you're not saying that that's a bad thing because I don't think yeah. it's a bad thing either. It's just it's interesting how quickly you know that facet of our. Uh, culture has changed. Yeah. Like, that's a very go-to way to date now. Yeah. And I can think of, like, several people right now who have met their their uh, partner on the internet. Yeah. And are, like, happily married, and it's super successful. Strange. Yeah. How much changed. And I, I think, like, a like a millennial joke um, is that we all, like, hate talking on the phone. And I'm super guilty of that. I'm not a big fan of, like, talking on the phone. But I'm trying to be, like, I'm trying to actually engage more with people like that instead of just, like, texting or WhatsApping them. Um, yeah. Because I do think it's important. And I, I'm trying to, like, do my little piece in, like, reaching out to actual humans. <laughs> through like your voice and your tone and and, like things like this instead of just like a message um yeah but it's it's so interesting I was just like thinking when I was like um you know in in junior high and like late elementary school it was like that was a thing to do is like talk to your friends on the phone and I remember my parents would be like get off the phone you know like you just saw your friends at school or whatever and uh-huh. it's like you wanted a connection, you wanted to talk and all this stuff. And now it's like our same generation, like as we've gotten older, it's like now that we have access to like text messaging and social media and stuff, it's like we are growing more like um, like socially illiterate kind of. I feel like we're in in some ways like um, like I mean that sounds bad, but I don't mean it bad. But I I do feel like we're kind oh. of re regressing socially in in like 
how to make conversation or yeah. how to make small talk or how to interact like with people that we don't necessarily want to, which is like an yeah. important life skill, you know? Um, and I'm guilty of it. I'm like, oh my gosh, like, I don't know. I'm like, I don't want to talk to this person on the phone. That means I'll have to talk to them for like five minutes when yeah. I could just like send them like a quick little message. And I'm wondering, yeah, like what effect that is having on on cultures and societies and relationships. I don't know. I could like talk about this yeah, stuff forever. I, I know it's 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 a you know a really broad topic, but I agree. I think that social media and technology is. Uh, like leaking into the way that we socialize. Like for example, uh, when we uh, when we meet face to face with somebody that we haven't seen in a while, like I am totally guilty of this. I will find myself talking about things that I saw on their Facebook. Like, oh hey, I saw that you recently traveled to Thailand. Like those uh-huh. were really cool pictures that you posted. And, um, I don't know, it's just kind of different. Like, it's nice that I, that I know that about that person, but it's also strange that, that I know that about that person. <laughs> like, I feel like I know everything about their trip and uh, I haven't even talked to them about it. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. It's like, because we post so much about our lives it's literally like, what's the point of getting together with someone to catch up over like a cup of coffee or something? Because it's yeah. like, literally, you know, everything going on in my life, even to like yeah. the oatmeal I ate this morning. What yeah. do we have <laughs> left to talk about? Right. And yeah. it's almost like an instant gratification too. You can just turn on your phone and get like a quick glimpse, a quick catch up on everybody in your feed. And then you feel like you've socialized and you are you don't need to talk to that person or call them because, huh. you know, you feel like you have connected and you're up to date, even though you're not really. Yeah. Um, like I said earlier, I don't think that we always put our real selves online anyway. Huh. Uh, so you're, I don't feel like you're really understanding that person or getting their real experience until you talk about Yeah. Yeah, it's like, I, I actually think that the author I mentioned earlier, Sherry Turkle, um, she wrote another book, too, that's, like, in my ever-growing queue of books um, to read. And it's, it's about, like, um, reclaiming conversation or something. Um, so I'm interested to to get into that hopefully at some point this year. It's kind of low on the list, but um, yeah, in and kind of hear her research or perspectives on that as well. Um, yeah. Huh. Well, uh, I have to say there is definitely a consequence to disconnecting from social media. Mm-hmm. Uh, huh. You know, like it feels like a healthy thing, but at the same time, like you said, everything is so connected to online profiles and things like that. Like, yeah, uh, totally. the events on Facebook is how people are invited to things. Yeah. And yeah. I almost feel guilty, like, you know, not 
checking because I don't want people to have to like send me a special invite to anything. Uh, and also, sometimes people aren't aware that you don't use your Facebook, and so mm. they'll invite you to an event, and then they you, you just don't respond, and that's kind of strange. Yeah. Uh, and then also there are things like, like my brother just got married, and they uh, like strictly use Facebook, so all the photos were on there. Huh. Um, things like if I had fully deleted my profile like which I know you have uh but I too I would have to find somebody who I could like log in through and view that or request like please share those with me individually (laughs) which sounds so obnoxious (laughs) yeah totally right it sounds really snobby like I don't use Facebook so could you Send me your wedding photos. <laughs> in in the in the U.S. mail, <laughs> please. Yeah. <laughs> Get By them printed. And... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh gosh, I know. Sometimes I feel like that's the that's like where I'm like headed to. Yeah, um... <laughs> like you're gonna have a printing press in your your in your barn that you built yourself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm totally gonna go Amish. Like, I'm like not just social, not just I'm anti-social media. I'm anti like electricity. Yeah, you're and... gonna send out uh, <laughs> pigeon carrier birds, <laughs> pigeon carriers with invites to a hoedown. <laughs> to to the to the barn raising. Yeah, um, the barn raising. Yeah, and then I'll be like wearing a tinfoil hat, eating my hair in a corner. Being like, they can hear us. The government is using <laughs> the, the, the satellite. <laughs> oh gosh, I think I just saw a glimpse of my future. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um. Hey, so something else. I kind of, I kind of want to continue like this thread in a slightly different direction. Um. Something that I super admire about you and something that I think is so, um, like, I'm always just so encouraged, like, with talking with you because I feel like you always have, um, kind of like a different pro, a different program, like different, excuse me, different project going on. Um, Mm. and, and it's been, it's been really cool to hear about, um, you know, how you were focused on, like, minimalism and kind of self, um, like, improving, like, your mental health and physical health, and I feel like you're always, um, yeah, like, you're, you're never stagnant, I feel like, and I'm always so encouraged, um, in, in kind of hearing what your latest thing is, um, and so something, if you're willing to share about it, um, that I think is just, like, so cool, is that you have written a book, right? And you are writing um, another book. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, so with, you know, that kind of landslide of lifestyle change, I uh, got more energy. I found more time for things that I do enjoy. Uh-huh. And one of those was writing. Um, 
I love mythology and fairy tales, and I really wanted to write about the Civil War, but in like a historical fiction type of way, or really just American history. I love American history. Hmm. And so I wrote a huge thing. I think it's it's either like a novel or a novella, but huh. it's... Uh, like a fairy tale set during the Civil War. And that's, that's now so cool. I'm like branching <clears throat> off of that and I'm writing, uh, I'm making it a trilogy. So there's one set in the antebellum period, which is before the Civil War, and then I have the Civil War and then um, a reproduction <clears throat> era fairy huh. tale. And. I uh, I almost have like too many projects going on right now. Like they're all <laughs> in development, and I need to like focus on one huh. to uh, like develop that fully. But I I'm also like have decided I want to write children's books and learn how to illustrate them. That's that's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's so easy to self-publish nowadays so my my goal for this year is to have published my first children's book hmm. and right now I'm in the still in the writing phase and that should be over with soon though and then I want to start illustrating which is going to be the hardest part uh, I I always love to draw I'm not like a great drawer but luckily like if you look at children's books, the the characters always look kind of weird and like cartoony. So yeah, 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 yeah. I'm, I'm gonna try to do it myself, but if not, like I have a lot of friends who are willing to help too. That's awesome. Um, so when so are any of your books published yet, or is that like a big project that you're hoping to tackle this year? Yeah, that's that's another thing that I'm hoping to tackle this year. Uh, it's it, right now. It's more of like a mental thing. Mm-hmm. I uh, I just need to share, um, and th- maybe this is also why I'm so drawn to minimalism and you know cutting out social media and and living like. Uh, <laughs> almost. Like I, I'm like kind of a private person, so it, hmm. and I put so much of myself into what I write that, you know, I like I don't like that vulnerability of huh. sharing it, and I don't know. It's not that I want everybody to like it, but I think that I'd be really devastated if somebody like said something really mean about it. Yeah. And, you know, so I'm trying to like prepare for that because I know that there will be people who don't like it. I'm just hoping they don't tell me to like never write again because <laughs> I don't want to like. <laughs> I'm afraid that I'll like, actually listen to them and then not uh, ever yeah. share again. Um, but the good news is that mentally, like I am becoming more confident and. I think that I am getting to a place where I can realize, like, that's somebody's opinion, and 
everybody has one. Yeah. That's fine. And not have it, you know, stick to me. Yeah. Yeah, and I think um, someone who, I, I think I've shared like a video or two of his with you and Prova, um, but someone who is like a filmmaker, he's a YouTuber, um, that I used to like and then I didn't like him and now I like him again, um, <laughs> Casey Neistat is... Oh, yeah. He actually has said, he's like a big... Um, you know, creator and, and creative person. And it's it's been really, like, inspiring to me to to watch some of his videos and, and talks and stuff because um, he talks about how the people who will criticize harshly and, like, bash on people's creative projects is, I mean, he goes so far as to calling them, like, losers. <laughs> Um, and how he says, like, it's so easy, um, it's so easy to be mean that he respects people when they're kind because that just takes so much more effort and, like, intellect, in, intellect, um, as I can't say intellect. Um, and I just thought that was, that was so interesting. Um, and I would like to think that a majority of people, um, do want to encourage people in like their creative processes and that's something that I've been growing in individually um even just like this this past year is you know kind of a, a way for me to um to like get out of my mind so to speak um because I could just like think so much and overthink and I always have like a thousand different ideas where it's hard for me to kind of relax um and so a good way that I've been trying to to help that is is through like creativity, um, specifically photography, and um, I'm I'm starting to get more into writing, which I I kind of want to briefly just um, hear some of your thoughts about that. And yeah, even though there are, I feel like the the haters who will always be there. Um, that there's a good majority of people who are just inspired by other people's creativity and really want to champion that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's always so easy to, to let like the naysayers really take, take hold. Yeah. And it, yeah, it is discouraging. Um, yeah. And I heard, uh, something similar that inspired me. It, uh, just said, you know, when you, when you read comments like that or you hear comments like that, think instead about what that person is saying uh, about themselves. So, you know, if they're saying something negative, maybe they're having a bad day hmm. and maybe they're unhappy with something that's going on in their own life. And so don't take it personally. Hmm. Um, and that's helped me because I'm really naive and I like to believe that everybody is good. <laughs> that, uh, you know, it's just a lot better. Like, it's more positive for me to think that way that, you know, somebody's just having a bad day. It doesn't matter. Yeah. They're going to uh, spread kindness tomorrow. Yeah. Everybody has a bad day. Yeah. 
That's a good perspective. Um, could you share? So I, I had just, I had just mentioned, um, I'm trying to get more into writing, um, specifically kind of like just journaling and stuff, kind of getting my, what's in my mind out, like on the, onto paper. So it's not just like stuck in there swirling around forever. Um, so, so my kind of writing that I'm, I'm just starting to kind of get into is, is more kind of just like a journaling kind of thing. Um, but I'm interested, do you, like, what is your, um, what is your like creative process look like? Um, what is like your writing process look like? Um, is it kind of like a scheduled, um, routine, like structured thing, or is it just like, oh, whenever, you know, you get like a, some inspiration you like sit down and write? Yeah. Um, you know, it definitely fluctuates because if I'm on vacation, uh, -huh. uh I work in a school, so I have, you know, I have two weeks off for Christmas vacation or winter vacation. And then, um, you know, I have a spring break summer. So during those times I will be more creative because mm. I just have more time. Mm -hmm. and I'm more constantly focused and thinking about what I am writing and so yeah I will write for like hours a day uh, wow uh, yeah and a lot of that is pre-writing and research because because it is historical fiction so I'm I'm trying to add things that are actually true to the story and yeah. uh also, I'll like find myself going off on tangents because I am so interested in the topic that I'll be reading about something that I'm not going to include in my story. But <laughs> I'm like, wow, I didn't, I had no idea that this actually happened. Like, uh, like for example, I found like this ghost story that happened in Arizona. Huh. That it's true. It is a true ghost story. I'll have to share that some other time, though. Um, but, yeah, so I'll, I'll write for days. And then um, my process when I'm actually in work, I write a lot less. Sure. I find that I'm not – I don't feel as creative at the end of a work day. Um, hmm. It's just a little bit more difficult to find that energy, I guess. But I will, I'll still try to sit down and work for at least an hour a day. Oh, wow. Um, just, you know, fleshing out characters or uh, thinking about motivations and plot points, things like that. Yeah. And I also do a lot of uh, rewriting, which is just something that I do because I, like I said, I'm obsessive. So <laughs> I will reread something that I've written and then edit it to death, <laughs> which I try not to do because I could constantly edit and change. Yeah, like forever. Forever, yeah. Um. So. <clears throat> Going back really quick, um, something that you had said, um, you were like, I, I tend to be more creative when, I, when I'm when i on vacation from work because 
I just have more time and kind of more space. Um, that's yeah. actually something I was listening to. Um, she was on a podcast doing an interview, uh, musician Sandra McCracken. Um, yeah. And she had just come out with like a new album at the time. And the the interviewer asked her, you know, like how kind of what, you know, when do you get creativity or, you know, that kind of stuff for her music. And something that I thought was, was just like so common sense, but the kind of common sense that like needs to be said out loud for you to realize like, oh yeah, duh, that's true. You know, um, is she was like, um, you know, she has kids and stuff and so she's obviously busy. Um, but she had said, she was like, make it a habit like for any anyone like anyone who wants to be creative specifically um she said it's so important to carve out she called it a margin or white white noise in your life um because she said you know take you know 30 minutes a day if you can or you know one hour like every weekend or, or something she was like but make it a habit to carve out these little sections of, of time where you literally will just schedule in these sessions if you have to um, to allow yourself to have some time and have some space where you can allow yourself to, to kind of embrace the creativity of of the day or the week and she said that you know she's like not every time you know I, I allow myself this time I have you know like this creative stroke of genius but she had she basically said it's like cultivating a habit um and she was like you know sometimes I'll go a couple weeks of you know continuing to allow myself you know this daily like 30 minutes or whatever um, and she was like, it might not come out, you know, the first couple of days or the first week, but she was like, eventually in that space of time, like it'll come. And, um, but it's because she does practice like allowing herself the space and time, um, to be creative. And I thought that was just like such a, like kind of a duh thing. Like, oh yeah, you will create when you allow yourself, you know, like, time and space yeah. to create um but so simple of her just saying that like she even will schedule it in um i was like oh that's so important yeah or else it yeah. will never be a priority yeah because i think and going back to like what we were talking about with minimalism it sometimes we just don't realize how many distractions that we have in our lives yeah and when you're constantly dealing with all those distractions um, like for me, it was the, the notifications from apps and social media and all those things and, um, committing myself to things that I didn't actually want to do. Uh, your, your time, your energy gets all sucked away and you're like almost in a constant state of distraction. Huh. That's a good way to put it. Yeah, I actually really like how, how you put that. Yeah, I feel like we're, at least me, like I feel like I'm very often in like this constant state of um, distraction and also committed to stuff I don't want to do. <laughs> 
like you said. Yeah. And so right now in my life personally, I'm trying to, you know, kind of rework my goals and my priorities um, to kind of allow my time myself some time and space to be creative, whether it fits to focus, you know, on photography or writing. Um, but also, yeah, to, to make what needs to be a priority, a priority. Um, right. And, and not get distracted by life, even if it's not social media, but yeah. just, just by life. Yeah, it can be constructive things too. Like I realized this week that my job has been a distraction because mm-hmm. my goal has always been to go back to school for my master's degree. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've realized that I've been putting off those applications, I've been putting off thinking about which program, which school, how am I going to make that work? Because I am just in that routine of I go to work, I you know I wake up early, spend all day working, come home, and then I kind of don't want to think about it. So then I will turn to something else to distract me. Yeah. But you know I kind of have to like realize. And that's what I did this week was that, you know, if I just keep doing what I'm doing, um, especially because I work in a school, like I said, so I measure things in semesters. Like the end of the semester will be here and then it will be too late to have applied to start school. Just something that you have to be aware of and realizing like what you're spending your time doing. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't want to take up too much of your time. We're just over an hour. Um, but I did want to touch on um, just one more topic is that, um, yeah, you are, you do work in a school. Um, you are considering taking um, a full-time teaching position now. And yeah. <clears throat> um, yeah, I'm, I'm interested to hear your thoughts as someone who does work in the education system in Arizona, which is like one of the worst uh, public school systems in the U.S., right, in Arizona? Yes, it is. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I would like to hear, um, I'll just throw these last two kind of topics out at you and you can kind of um, go where you want with them, but... One, I would just like to hear your opinion on what you think the current state of public education is and how, if at all, um, it can improve over like the coming decade. Um, and also, I, I <clears throat> wasn't planning on, on talking about this until just the other day, um, but with the obviously extremely tragic um, school shooting in Florida, excuse me, um, just the other day. That seems to be this recurring thing um, in the U.S. particularly um, about school shootings. And I'm interested on hearing any thoughts that you have about um, that particular situation that happened um, and just in general, like, like, what are your opinions on um, 
how far schools should be proactive about that. Are you concerned about it, like on a, on a daily basis? Um, or, or anything you kind of want to share about that as someone who, who, yeah, literally goes to a school every day. And we see in the news that this is just becoming more of a, um, more of a, a commonplace uh, tragedy. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely a major tragedy. Every time that, that happens, it's a tragedy. Yeah. Uh, I think it's definitely fostered this whole mentality in us teachers and educators that we uh, we are like we're almost in a constant state of protection. Um, what do you my mean? My school. My school, for example, is completely gated in. Uh-huh. Um, any entrances are locked except for one pathway that leads directly to the office. But when we're like walking through campus, I find myself like looking through the gate, and I will sometimes like see people standing or walking towards the school, and of course they're like their parents. Yeah. But I always find myself like looking for like just a second longer to be sure that that um, person is supposed to be here. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> or if I see kids uh, moving across campus without an adult, I uh, will just like be more aware of like where are they going. They're not, uh, you know, leaving campus or doing something that is unsafe and I mean that's just something that we have to do yeah but uh, there's also difficult things like I work with K through third so kids who are five to like eight or nine years old uh-huh. and uh, things like lockdown procedures which is what happens when um, there's a threat on campus or in the neighborhood near campus where we totally lock down the school. Uh, all you know, the classroom door is locked. You have to all sit uh, against a wall where there are no windows or you're not in sight of anybody outside. Um, and you have to sit with zero noise for a very long period of time. Hmm. Things like that, it's really difficult to explain to a five-year-old why we're doing that. Sure, yeah. And, yeah, and so I've had some of them even ask difficult questions like, why is somebody, why does somebody have a weapon here? Or, like, why do we have to practice a lockdown? Because we, we practice... Uh, once a month how to lock down the school wow that's a lot more frequent than I remember doing as a kid and more frequent than I thought yeah it's as frequent as a fire drill now I think we have a fire drill uh, every few weeks but I mean it's at least once a month and the lockdown is about once a month too Mm. um but the reason for that is because we want to be absolutely prepared for that situation. Um, yeah. Everybody needs to know where 
they're supposed to be and how to, uh, you know, protect these kids that we're responsible for. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, and it's just, it's, it is scary. Like, they even recently changed the policy on the lockdown so that um, we were told that we are only to worry about our students. So when we go into a lockdown procedure, if our door is locked, we are not allowed to open it for another staff member. So if there is a uh, teacher or an aide outside, we're not allowed to let them into our classroom because we're not supposed to trust that they're not the person who's putting everybody in danger. Huh, interesting. Yeah. Huh. I know, I'm, I'm really conflicted with that one. I understand why we have to do that. Sure. But it's just so sad that we now live in a country where that is how we have to think. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Yeah, so we uh, we do lots of lockdown practices, and you know I've heard what I believe is like policy and changes with the policy is what will will ultimately help the situation with school shootings and similar like tragedies, but. You know, sometimes I think that people are confused about what kind of policy changes would be helpful. Um, I was just reading something that, you know, a politician said that we need to make schools as secure as airports. Huh, interesting. Which is kind of bizarre to me because then you get into the whole how public schools and just education in general is so underfunded. Like, I heard an example, like, you can't afford to give teachers paper for their students to use, (laughs) but we're going to put, like, high-security metal detectors and security guards at the entrance to the school? Like, it's very confusing to me. And I'm new to education, so I'm still learning a lot, but I don't think that's a great idea. Yeah. Huh. That's, yeah, I feel like we could spend another, like, 10 hours just talking about funding and, and yeah, yeah, education. how to help <laughs> education, but, yeah, ultimately, I, I uh, just try to have that mentality of, being really aware. Um, I mean, you hear about really grave teachers and educators in those situations that react well and save kids' lives. And, you know, like, that's our goal is to, to, like, we want kids to feel safe when they come to school and we want parents 
to feel safe when they leave their kids with us. Sure. Huh. Yeah, that's, that's good. Um, you, you know, obviously so that, that it's, it's being a continual focus on, um, yeah, what are we doing? What can we improve? But also, yeah, such a complex, um, yeah, such a Problem. complex thing. So something this is more of a lighthearted thing because that was a pretty deep there for a second. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so last week, the day after that shooting happened, uh, I had a, a group of first graders and they were like chatting and uh, I noticed that one of them had something in his pocket and he was showing another student and it was becoming a distraction. So I said to him, you know, what, what is that in your pocket? What do you have? Yeah. And he looked at me and he was kinda like nervous and he goes, I have a a bullet. <gasps> oh. And I freaked out and I was like, like, you have a bullet? You need to, to let me have that now. Yeah. And he pulled out uh, one of those nerf bullets for a nerf gun. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, uh, never mind. I don't care about that. But, like, I had this, like, whole moment of panic where, like, how did he find a bullet? Yeah. Like, he said he found it on his way to school. And (laughs) and I just, like, thought of the worst case scenario. I thought it would be, like, a shotgun shell or something. Right, yeah, like, live ammunition in this kid's pocket. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But, no, he found a nerf bullet on his way to school. (laughs) Oh, man. Uh. Well, Brian, um... Thanks so much for coming on as the very first guest. Yes, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to I hope that this is interesting to somebody. <laughs> um, <laughs> at least at least for Amber it will be. Shout out Amber. Shout out to Amber. Who yeah, will... anybody else who's listening, listen to all of Alex's podcast <laughs> just because this episode and I am not interesting <laughs> give the other episodes a chance um no it's I think you're super interesting and that's that's oh, why that's that's what really like inspired me to to want to create this is because I feel like so many um podcasts and interviews and and all this stuff is directed towards like celebrities or professional athletes or you know things like that and and you know for a reason they're all incredible at what they do um remarkably talented people um but it it always like made me kind of be like i know people like in their day-to-day lives who do awesome stuff against all odds or are super creative or um, are continually trying to, you know, to, to better themselves personally. And so that's what really sparked me wanting to, to start this little podcast is to just interview normal, everyday people who, you know, who I have known for years, who I think are super interesting people. Um, and so you're in that. You're in that category for yeah. sure. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, I think it's a great idea, and I'm excited to hear the uh, the future episodes. So. Yeah, I think we're going to try to get 
Prova on next. Um, I'm super interested to to talk with her. Um, yeah, that'll be fun. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, cool, Brian. So thanks again um, for yeah for spending your set Sunday morning uh, talking with me. And um, no problem. This is the official first episode, and I hope to have you back on one day because I feel like I could just talk to you about a trillion more topics um, for yeah, a couple more hours. It. So um, hopefully we'll be hearing from Brian on another podcast one day. Um, so thanks for tuning in and I will hope to be posting the second interview coming up in the next couple of weeks.